church. He's acknowledging and encouraging him to persevere through the struggle of dealing with false teachers, many of whom were probably his friends who were professing Christians who are starting to teach, teach different things and starting to distort the message of the gospel. He's been encouraging Paul, Timothy in the struggle of, to pray and to pray earnestly and to pray because it is effective and it is needed. He has been encouraging Timothy in the midst of the struggle, the struggle of how to find the right leaders and raise up elders and deacons and to put the right people in positions of leadership. He's been encouraging him in the struggle of being open and living transparently so others could see the gospel at work within himself. And he's encouraged, has also encouraged him in terms of how to care for family members, how to live in the household of God, how to deal with sinful desires, how to live generously as opposed to living for money. So it is not surprising when we come to this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, his concluding exhortation to Timothy, that he says to him, Timothy, I charge you, fight the good fight of faith. This is exactly what he says to him. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display in the proper time. He, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. He continues in verse 20, 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would give Your Spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds to the truth of Your Word, for without the working of Your Spirit, we cannot understand these things. So Lord, may we know them, and more than just knowing them, may we experience them, and may that experience change us in this present moment and in every present moment of eternity. In your son's name we pray, amen. The Christian life is a fight. Frankly, that is not the image of the Christian life that I really like. For starters, I don't really like fighting. And plus the fact, when I think the Christian life is a fight, it conjures image of, you know, this belligerence, conjures an image of, of conflict, which is inherent within any fight. It conjures all kinds of different things, and it's usually, uh, you know, fighting. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be a part of it, and largely, I would just wish it would go away. I mean, I think when I think about my Christian life, the images that I prefer of what the Christian life is like is more like, whoa, that's not my slide set. Help me out here, Shannon. The Christian life is like Cornerstone. 
That's what it's like. <laughs> All right, there we go. Thanks. Um, I prefer the image of like the Christian life is like an oasis. It is the place of refreshment in the desert. That you deal with the struggles and the challenges and the heat of the week and life, and your faith is the one place where you find solace and refreshment. I like the image of that the, the Christian faith is finding the Lord to be your strong tower. In the midst of the battles that you're going through, it is your one place of security. It is your place of comfort. It is the place that you can hide and escape. I like the image of, of an eagle for those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I love that image because many times I'm weary and many times I feel faint. And this image is like, yes, oh Lord, if, that could, if that's what I want my life and I want my faith to be. Paul says to Timothy, and those are all, of course, biblical images. But what Paul says to Timothy is, Timothy, the Christian life is a fight. You need to fight the good fight of faith. And while I might prefer these image, images, I think the reason why I prefer these images is because I know that the Christian life is a fight. It's because I'm in the struggle. And I think if you pause and you reflect in your own life for just a moment, you realize that too. Where is, where is the fight in your own life right now? Where is the struggle in your own life right now? For many, it's in your marriages. For many, it's in your relationship with your children, or in children, it's in your relationship with your parents, a relationship with a sibling or another, another family member. For many of you, it's a struggle within your workplace. Where in your life right now are you fighting for peace? Or is there a fight? Where in your life is there a fight for peace? Where in your life right now is a fight for confidence, a fight for joy, a fight for contentment, a fight for hope? It doesn't take long to realize that, does it? That the Christian life is a fight. And not just for you, but for people around you. Many people who don't know the Lord, who don't have the hope of the indwelling spirit to be at work in them and through them. And so who are fighting a battle ill-equipped, and they're fighting a battle which they cannot succeed at. So it's not surprising then, given that, that Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. In particular, what we're going to look at this morning is how he charges Timothy is to fight the good fight of faith, to fight for integrity, to fight for gospel truth, and to fight for eternal life. His first one he says to them is the need for Timothy to fight for his own integrity and the integrity of those in his church. Here is how he is to fight. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. How do you fight? You flee. Why? Because there are certain battles over which you can win and other battles of which you don't win. When he says flee these things, these things, what are these things? That's what he's mentioned before. False teaching, those that would compromise or minimize or distort the teaching of Scripture. It's engaging in quarrels and fights. It's engaging in divisive talk. It's the love of money, which he's talked about before. And is urging to Timothy, he says, Timothy, you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee from these things. Fight the battles you can win. But the battle against temptation is a battle that never goes away. Because temptation does not ever surrender. The only thing it does is that it retreats for a while, it gives up the chase, and then regroups for the next attack. But there is this reality that when you flee from temptation, 
it does stop pursuing you, at least for a time, or at least for an extended time, and sometimes altogether. If you are, think about this, if you're playing tag with your brothers and sisters in the backyard, and you're it, and, but you are chasing people who all of them are faster than you, what do you do? Eventually, you either give up or you lay a trap. That's what you do. You say, I'm not going to be able to catch them, so I'm either just not going to try at all, or I'll figure out some way to outsmart them. And I think temptation works in both those same ways. If you flee from temptation and continue to flee from temptation, it gives up and it doesn't follow you. And what it does is it doesn't, you don't know, it doesn't ever go away. It just kind of lays and waits for its next opportunity to spring upon you. So what is it that tempts you in your own life? Is it food? Certain types of food? Remove it. Is it the internet? Disconnect it. Is it your smartphone? Get a dumb phone. Whatever it is, flee from temptation. We are to flee from it as the principal strategy of fighting because the way that sin works is it starts small, usually starts with a thought or a glance or a touch or maybe a purchase or or a click. And then it starts to grow. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy is, Timothy, not you. Flee from temptation. Don't flirt with danger, for who can put fire in his lap and not get burned? Flee from these things. And I think it's not only fleeing from sinful actions, but also from sinful thoughts, where these things generally begin. Because sin, at its core, is a struggle to believe God. Consider this in any area of your life where you sin. Why do you, why do you lie? Because you believe that it will go better if you do lie. You believe yourself and your own assessment of the situation and what's necessary in the situation, then you believe God. So you do so. Why do you engage in sexual impurity? Because you don't believe that purity is best for you. Why do you believe you don't believe that God's plans are best in this area of your life? Why are you not generous? It's because you don't believe that God is trustworthy. Why do you, why do you struggle with doubt and despair? It's because you don't believe that God will take care of you. You don't believe that he is good and that his promise, his promise is true. And Paul's encouragement to Timothy is, Timothy, flee these things. Flee the desires. Flee the thoughts. And the way that you flee from them is you pursue something else. Flee these things, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue these things. Righteousness and godliness. Righteousness being right living in relationship to other people. Godliness being right living in relationship to God, both the horizontal and the vertical dimensions of our spiritual life. Pursue faith and love, faith being the personal expression of our heart, what we think, where we believe, as it is expressed in our lives. To live life, pursue living life with your hope set on God, live life out of love for God and in response to God's love. Pursue steadfastness and gentleness. Steadfastness is patience in difficult circumstances. Gentleness is patience with difficult people. The two of them go together. So how do you flee these things? One of them is that you flee altogether and don't create the opportunity to put yourself in a position of temptation, but you also flee them as a lifestyle pattern by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Paul's encouragement, Timothy, fight for your integrity. 
you're in a battle. Fight for your integrity. The second area that he encouraged them is, Timothy, fight for the gospel truth. He says, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Paul's usage of the faith to Timothy refers to Christian belief, the gospel, the truths of the gospel, the revolving around the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the implications of those for each and every one of us. And he's urging Timothy, he's saying, listen, Timothy, you need to fight for the truth because there are many who have wandered away from the faith. He says this in verse 10. He says this also in verse 20 in several other locations. They have wandered away from the faith. You need to fight for the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. He urges it to him again in verse 20. O Timothy, O Timothy, he's pleading with him. Timothy, guard the deposit that has been entrusted to you. There is a relentless battle to compromise to relativize, to minimize, or to distort the Word of God. To say that the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't enough, that there's something else that you need. Guard the gospel torch, he's urging him. For it alone is sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness. What this means, practically for us, is that the only thing in this world that is the Word of God is the Word of God. It's the only thing that's God's Word. Not the latest craze, not the latest finding, not the latest social opinion. It is the only thing that is the God's word, and it alone is sufficient for all things, for life and for godliness. Because if we don't do so, if we don't guard the faith, and what happens when people don't guard the faith is we become like so many churches that have gone before. We become structures with no truth. We become a memorial to places that the Word of God used to be taught there and is no longer a church. Europe, the U.S., is littered with buildings of churches that used to preach the gospel. Some don't do so any longer because they were so determined to hold on to the truth that they lost love and they created all kinds of standards by which very few people could ever measure up and they themselves couldn't. Other people lost hold of the truth because they said, well, you know what, God doesn't really matter how you live or what you do, God's just going to forgive you anyway, and that's fine what you believe just as long as you love people. Somewhere along the way, there was a doubting of God's truth and His Word, doubting the glory of God, questioning His character, ignoring, what, ignoring the gospel. Many churches, even in our own community, where the Word of God has a minimal, where a minim, has a minimal role Many churches where the strategy of the church is we just want people to have a nugget. And that's fine to walk with, tangible truth, everyone needs that. But the whole goal is I just need a little something. I just need a little, a little something. And so what happens if you feed people with little something is you generate little Christians. And little people who don't hold, who don't know the truth and don't even know when it's being distorted. And Paul says in the book of Galatians, he says, if anyone adds to this or distorts this, or distorts the message that we are proclaiming. Let him be accursed. There is a need to fight for the gospel truth, and it comes from surprising, surprising places. It even comes at times from people who hold to biblical inerrancy and hold to, supposedly hold to the inspiration of Scripture. One of those people is Andy Stanley. Now, I very, very rarely mention anyone's name on different views. But Stanley is someone for whom most of you are familiar 
And he's also someone for whom, who has a huge impact, and for those of you who move on to, from here, who has a huge voice in most of the churches that you, are going, that you go to or might be a part of. But two years ago, Stanley declared that he feels that the Bible is irrelevant and ineffective in reaching people today. In fact, he went on to say, and what I'm quoting here, not only was it quoted live, but he was asked if he really did say these things, and he affirmed, yes, that is my opinion, and he actually insisted that some of these things be, be italicized in what I'm about to read. Stanley says, as part of my shift, I stopped leveraging the authority of Scripture and began leveraging the authority and stories of the people behind the Scriptures. To be clear, I don't believe the Bible says Scripture teachers and the Word of God commands are incorrect approaches, but they are ineffective approaches for post-Christian people. He goes on to say, the Christian faith does not exist because of the Bible. You hear that? The Christian faith does not exist because of the Bible any more than you exist because of your birth certificates. Here's what he says. It is the events, not the record of the events, that birthed the church. The Bible did not create Christianity. Christianity is the reason the Bible was created. I will continue to insist, his italics, that the foundation of our faith is not an inspired book, but the events that inspired the book. The foundation of our faith is not an inspired book, but the events that inspired the book. Now, for those of you that just kind of, that all sounds kind of like the same thing. Let me clarify. We believe as does historic Christianity that has existed for over 2,000 years now, that God acts and has acted in history in historical events. That God has acted in history, that he has spoken in history. That God's acts of redemption and of his self-revelation reveal his character. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, that it actually is God's word divinely inspired. It is not merely a witness to other people's religious experiences which is what Stanley's saying. It is not merely a witness to other people's exp religious experiences. It is not a testimony and story about God's acts of redemption and revelation. The Bible itself is the Word of God, is itself revelation. And I say that knowing the challenges and apparent difficulties that many people find with the Bible. I have read it through before. I've actually read it through multiple times. But what Stanley is doing here is that Stanley is doing, not, he is doing nothing less than declaring that God's revelation is irrelevant and ineffective for people today. It is irrelevant and ineffective for people today. Do you hear the need to fight for the truth? to guard the message of the gospel. For, three, for the first 300 years of Christianity, the gospel advanced through the proclamation of the word of God in places where Christianity had never existed. It advanced into locations where the idea of a monotheistic God, that there would be one God, was crazy and ludicrous. And the way that it advanced was God's word was proclaimed and the Holy Spirit superintended the preaching and proclamation of the Word of God to bring about transformation and to start churches where they never existed before. That was in the first 300 years of Christianity. I think we see a modern example of this in what Tim Keller has done in New York City over the last 30-some-odd years. That in planning a church in Manhattan, arguably at the time, if not still today, one of the most secular places in all of America, and he came in with a simple strategy which was, I am going to explain the Word of God to people here who need to hear it. 
And when he came in, he was not trying to make the Bible relevant to people's issues. What he did was he demonstrated that the Bible was already relevant because it was the Word of God to people, that the Bible was already relevant to real issues and real struggles, and it was what real people needed to hear. It is the one thing that has, gives life. It is, what God, it is how God has revealed himself to us. So, when Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith, this is not an abstract concept. Throughout your life, you yourself will experience many times to compromise biblical truth in something that you think will offer something better, and it will only leave you hurt and wanting more. And so it's not surprising then that Paul also says to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. I charge you in the presence of, the, presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which command he's talking about? Many of these. Fight the good fight of faith. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in doing this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. Guard the truth. Fight for the gospel. Do not let it be distorted. Do not let it be minimized. Keep the main thing the main thing. Know it. Live it. Embody it. And fight for the truth. It's third encouragement that he gives to him. As you could say, moral, doctrinal, experiential. Fight for, he's to fight for uh, integrity, fight for truth, and to fight for eternity. Fight for eternal life. Paul says to Timothy, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of the eternal life. Now, if you think about this, it's a little, we might say, well, wait a second, isn't that a little bit odd? I mean, isn't Timothy already a Christian? So why is he saying take hold of the eternal life? What Paul is identifying here is he is recognizing that if you are in Christ, eternal life is a present possession. It is a present possession. But the question that he raises here is that though eternal life, if you are in Christ, though eternal life is a present possession, is it for you a present reality? Is it a present reality? Are you experiencing eternity in this present moment? And what he urges Timothy is he says, Timothy, take hold of eternal life. Grab hold of it. Seize it. Don't lose your grip. And he affirms it as a possession. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God has called you. He has drawn you to himself. Isaiah says something similar. He says, thus says the Lord, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are the fight and the struggle that you are in, you are not fighting against God. He is fighting for you. He is the one who strengthens you. He innovates you. He upholds you. He has called you. You possess eternity. And he says to Timothy, he says, affirming the present possession of eternity, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. What is he referring to? is that Timothy professed his faith that he believed in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He joined the church. 
He was baptized. He said, I will be publicly acknowledged as being numbered with the people of God. He made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He was not pretending that he could actually be a closet Christian if such a thing actually exists. He said, no, if I'm living for Christ, then I need to, that needs to be publicly known. It's part of what we celebrated here this morning. Twenty-some-odd people who said, I will publicly identify with Jesus Christ. I will publicly, I will give the good confession of faith in the presence of many witnesses because I, Christ, is mine and I am his. Paul makes a further, I think he clarifies what this confession is and describes different aspects of it in the next few verses. There is a God who gives life to all things. There is a creator God, the one to whom we owe life, we owe our allegiance, we owe our reverence, we owe all. He is the potter and we are the clay. Yet before whom? We are unworthy and unacceptable because of our brokenness and our corruption and our sinfulness. But God sent Jesus Christ who suffered before Pontius Pilate. And though before Pilate he could have quit, he could have escaped, he could have given up, he didn't. But he stayed the course, he made the good confession, he was tortured and crucified on the cross for sins that he himself did not commit, but for your sins and for my sins, and he was resurrected from the grave so that we might have life and life abundant. It is through Christ that we profess that it is my sins that were nailed to the cross. By being in Christ, I have been united to him in his resurrection. I am adopted with him. This is what I possess. And I am united to the returning king who will be the ruler over all. He will return. He is the blessed and only sovereign. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one over all. This, friends, is your present possession. This is the present possession of eternity. The question that Paul is raising is, is this present possession a present reality in your life? Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God. Not when you see Jesus sometime in the future. But for Paul and to Timothy, which Timothy understood, they live that moment in the presence of God, in the presence of eternity. I share Paul's conviction. I don't, as a pastor of this church, I don't want you just to be saved. I want you to experience your salvation. I don't want you just to be accepted by God, though I do. I want you to know God. I want you to know what a relationship with God is like. I I, I don't want you to just to know that you are righteous in Christ. I want you to experience his righteousness. I don't want you just to believe that God sends his Holy Spirit to indwell in you, but I want you to know and be lived and motivated by the Spirit who was dwelling within you and who was working within you. I want you to take hold of eternity, to fight for it and to experience it in your life in this moment, that you would live today in the fullness of eternity. This is what we see in Paul's life. I charge you in the presence of God. I and you, we live this moment right here, right now, in God's presence. I am preaching this sermon with God in the audience and him beside me. When I work on my computer, I work on my computer 
with him next to me. I'm reminded of the words of the psalmist, Lord, where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the tops of the mountain, you are there. If I go to the depths of the ocean, you are there. If I hide myself in darkness, even darkness is not dark to you. If I make my bed in the realm of the dead, even there you will find me. I cannot flee from your presence. How glorious and wonderful a thought that that is. What this means is that right now, God is not simply watching me, but he is with me. He said, I, I will never face the darkest moment of my life. I will never face the darkest moment of my life alone. And if you are in Christ Jesus, nor will you. I will face situations that are completely and totally beyond my strength and beyond my ability. But I will never face a situation that is beyond him who is in me and who goes before me and who is after me and who is beside me. And this is not simply a future reality One day when I meet Jesus face to face into eternity. But this is a present reality. Take hold of eternity. Part of the reason in my own life why my grip on eternity slips is because I live short-sighted. I live with a vision of the present. Paul gives us a different picture. Look how Paul's characterization He says, I charge you in the presence of God. I charge you in the presence of he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone, right now, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I stand, we are In this present moment, in the presence of the living God, whose rule is universal, he is the sovereign over everything. No human rule can challenge his authority. His reign is invincible. He is the king of kings. No one can match him. He is immortal. He is beyond time. Death and corruption cannot touch him or affect him. He is unapproachable. He lives in blinding holiness who is beyond the reach of sinful people, but he has made a way through Jesus Christ. He is incomprehensible. No one can fathom his greatness and his glory. He is invisible, and we only know him to the degree that he makes himself known to us in his word and through Jesus Christ. He is utterly transcendent. He is utterly other. He possesses all power. He is eternal, omnipotent. Might is his. Darkness, whether that is falsehood or evil, cannot enter into his presence and is overcome before him and is eradicated. He is the one who deserves all glory and all honor and all praise. And it is in his presence that you are there right now in this present moment. He is the one who goes before you. He is the one who stands behind you and beside you and next to you. Brothers and sisters, fight the good fight of faith. There are some who fight for truth but lack integrity. 
There are others who pursue integrity but have no comparable concern for the gospel or for truth. And yet there are still others who disregard both integrity and disregard gospel truth, and they do so in search of some new religious experience. But the man of God and the woman of God fights for all three. The man of God and the woman of God will not compromise. They will fight the good fight of faith on all fronts. They will fight for integrity and fight for the gospel, and fight for eternal life until Jesus returns. So brothers and sisters, fight. Fight because you stand in the presence of the one who is in you, and the one who is with you, and the one who is for you, and the one who will be totally and utterly victorious. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, The struggle is real. It is apparent. It is exhausting. Father, there are some who are struggling here today and they don't know if they're going to make it another day. And if they are, they don't know if they want to. But Lord, this is not a surprise to you. Rather, it is an opportunity that you have given us to turn from relying on ourselves and our own schemes to turn to relying on you. It is an opportunity that you have given us to know your presence, to experience what you are going to do in ways that we cannot see and ways that are incomprehensible to us. So, Father, in the midst of our present struggles, would you give us eyes to live this present moment in eternity? Would you give us hearts that yearn to know your, to learn, that yearns to know you. And Father, we praise you and worship you that there is nowhere that we can go and flee from your presence. That there is no situation that we face that we face alone. So Lord, would your spirit work in us that we turn to you and not from you? Would your spirit work in us, Lord, so that we would fight, that we would fight the good fight of faith, that we would flee temptation, that we would flee from tempting thoughts, and that we would flee to you, our Lord and Savior, that we would flee to you, who is our strong tower, the one who is the oasis in the desert, the one who, when we turn to you, we mount up on wings like eagles so that we can run and not grow weary. Lord, surround us with your presence so that we may live for you in each and every present moment of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. May the word of God continue to work in our hearts as we stand and worship him, knowing that the battle belongs to the Lord. May he reign in us. Let us sing.
desperately we need to be redeemed. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate for your touch. Oh, great and mighty one, with one desire we
stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in his presence. Amen.